0: when you read a command of god is your first thought
1: i didn't know how the christianity
2: thing worked being arrogant
3: and i could be free to live as god's daughter do you trust
0: him being resentful
2: i was a worker
0: no he's been so good to me through what jesus has done
1: i was working my way to salvation
3: and have his spirit inside of me
2: and being
0: angry
1: once that finally clicked i actually worked harder
0: i know he's good and so i'm going to This morning, what we're going to do is we're just going to look at uh, a couple scriptures from 1 John 3 that have to do with the fatherhood of God. And then we have some people that are going to share stories. And maybe you have a story if we have time after our scheduled people share, then you might want to share as well. And if you're sharing uh, specifically, we're looking for stories not about how great we are or even how great this church is, but how great God is. And usually God's goodness and greatness is shown more clearly when we confess our foolishness and our sins and our faults. So if you have a story about how God's grace met you in a moment of foolishness, sin, or, or even rebelling against him, we would welcome that story. We're not afraid here of sin because we believe we're all sinners. But believe that God is gracious and through Jesus we're forgiven. So I'm going to ask John to read 1 John 3.1 for us.
2: See. What great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children,
0: and we are. I don't know if you've ever had a job that in order to keep the job, you had to humiliate yourself. Or if you've had a role or a friendship with someone, but in order to keep that friendship, you had to really lower yourself to a point of humiliation. When I was in high school, I played on a basketball team, and there was one guy on our team, and he knew a basketball player from another team who was really good. I mean, this guy from the other team was, was we just called him 6'9", because he was 6'9", and it was obvious that he was going to play college ball somewhere. But the guy on our team said, hey, I know that guy. And we're like, really? You're friends with him? You know 6'9"? You know him? You're friends? He's like, yeah, man, I, I know him. I'm friends with him. I ride around with him. I run with him. And we're like, man, that's really cool, because he's going to be a big deal. Well, we found out that our friend kind of had to humiliate himself in order to be around six nine. In fact, he was six nine's do boy. So he would ride around, and six nine would look at him and and say, "Hey, man, I left my jacket inside. Go ahead and get that for me." And my friend would run in and grab the jacket and come back out, and it was just kind of humiliating. It was a little bit sad. He had to lower himself in order to keep the relationship. He had to humiliate himself in order to stay in that role. I was reading uh, an article popped up in Facebook over the weekend. A couple different sites uh, showed this article about uh, movie stars who had hired people to do humiliating jobs for them. Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, has hired someone to be his human alarm clock. So he has a guy on staff that just comes into his room at 5 in the morning. Hey, man, it's, it's time to get up. Can you wake up now? That's kind of a humiliating job, right? You have to lower yourself in order to stay around Marky Mark. I mean, you're there, but you're kind of like a fool for being there. Ludacris, I read that Ludacris has someone that carries around batteries for his Game Boy. Like, that's his job. Ludacris is playing game Boy. He's like oh man i'm out of batteries and the battery guy's like i'm here i got your batteries for you rod stewart has a team that goes ahead of him whenever he's going into a city let's say he's coming to south florida to sing they go ahead of him to the hotel room and they darken the whole hotel room for him with curtains so that he can sleep he has a room darkening team and diddy has someone that just carries his umbrella around for him. Can you believe that? I mean, you're around, P. Diddy, but you're just the umbrella guy. You're just the umbrella guy. And this one, this one gets me. Mariah Carey has someone that flies around the world with her just to hold her drink for her. So if Mariah's like sitting down and having a conversation and kind of turns this way, you come up with the drink and the straw... And you put it in Mariah's mouth. Thank you. Couldn't believe this. All these things are quite humiliating. I mean, you're around someone that's a big deal, but the only way that you can stay there, the only way that you can be in relationship with them, is if you humiliate yourself. You know, as Christians, we come humbly to God. We come lowering ourselves and humbling ourselves. We're rebels. We don't want to do what God wants us to do. Just like our first parents, we have sinned against God and he's righteous and just. He's a judge. And so we come before him humbly, knowing that he has the power to bring judgment on us. We deserve death and eternal separation from him. There's nothing that we can do to restore the relationship. And so we come saying, forgive me, I'm a rebel, I, I deserve judgment. We come humbly. But Jesus is the one who was humiliated. Jesus is the one who lowered himself so that our relationship with God the Father could be secure. Jesus is the one who was humiliated on the cross. In God's great love for us, he sent the Son who was both fully man and fully God. Fully God means he should have been honored. But when he became man, he lowered himself. He took that role That was humiliating, humiliating to the point where he went to the cross for you and for me. As a substitute, he was put on the cross in our place, punished for our sin, and then after three days, he rose again to that place of honor. Yes, Christians, we come humbly, but Christ is the one who was humiliated for us so that we could have a secure relationship with God the Father. Now, because of that, you are sons and daughters of God. And there's nothing you can do to lose it. Jesus was the one who was rejected so that you could be accepted. God is now your good, good father. And everything that is his is yours. If you read through Ephesians 1, it says that all spiritual blessings are yours in Christ. And what that means is God is not holding out on you as his father. He already dealt with your sin. He already dealt with your legal position when Christ went to the cross for you. So at New City, we make a big deal about being children of God because we deserve something so differently. And it's not just that we make a big deal about it. Scripture makes a big deal about it. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. And that's why one of the things we believe is that what empowers us is not ourself. It's not how good we do. It's it's not our record of obedience or disobedience. It's God's movement towards us through Jesus that seals us as his children. I don't know if you ever get on that performance track with God where you're like you're weighing your relationship with God based on how well you're doing as a Christian and you've ended up depressed because you're looking to yourself as the source of power. What scripture teaches is that we're to look to God as our Father, as the source of power for living the Christian life. Every morning, you get to wake up, and no matter how you did yesterday, no matter if you obeyed or disobeyed, I hope you obeyed, but the truth is, you didn't do it perfectly, but you get to wake up every morning and say, I am a child of God. And yesterday was yesterday, and I failed God in many ways, but I am still His child. And the power to live the Christian life comes from God being my Father. This morning, we have a couple people that are going to come up and share stories about being empowered by the joy of being children of God. And and you'll hear them very openly talk about their failures, uh, about their shortcomings. Uh, But I hope that encourages you that you can be more honest with God about where you're at and who you really are. Because if you know Jesus Christ, you are his child. Amen? Carol, I'm going to ask you to come up first. Yeah, let's give her a hand.
3: This is about uh, my father and our father. Um, My earthly father was an Irish-German Catholic who was brilliant and creative and charming. He was a uh, mechanical and aeronautical engineer. He was also an alcoholic, prone to angry outbursts and a liar. Uh, I think the Irish would call him a storyteller, but really. Um, I, I loved him completely. I was a daddy's girl. When I was little, I would spend every Saturday morning, sometimes well into the afternoon, with him in the garage where he was building a small three-seater airplane. I look at um, Lola and Sophia, and that was the age that I was in the garage with Daddy. Um, He taught me the names of the tools that he was using so that I could hand them to him. At the age of eight, I knew a crescent wrench from a monkey wrench, and if you asked me for a Phillips screwdriver, I could give it to you. He didn't go to church with us. Um, I asked my mother why and she said it's because we're Protestant and he's Catholic. But he never went. When I was a nine, he had a stroke. He had a giant ego and the loss of the use of the left side of his body devastated him beyond repair. We moved from Houston, Texas to Fort Lauderdale where my mother's family lived. He retreated into delusions of building a boat in the carport, kind of like the airplane in the garage, and spent his days drinking beer and reading boating magazines and looking at building plans. He died when I was 23. It took me years to sort out my mourning of him. I missed the daddy of my youth. I didn't miss the man that he had become. But God, my heavenly Father, called me to himself when I was 25. I met some Christians who taught me about God. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and completely and utterly pure. Through the scriptures, they showed me how my sin created a wall between me and God, a wall that required a sacrificial death in order to be broken down. I needed to pay for my sin with death. It was the only way I could have a free and clear relationship with my Father God. So they also taught me about Jesus, who he was, what he taught, how his death, his death, could be a substitute for mine. Through faith in Jesus and his atoning death and resurrection, that wall between me and God could be completely broken down, cleared away. I would be forgiven, and I could be free to live as God's daughter and have his spirit inside of me to help me do that. So now... I had full access to God. The one who created the universe and the earth and everything in it was also my father. I could talk intimately with him about anything and he would listen. I could find out about his character in the Bible and also in the Bible I could find answers to all my questions about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The church I was in took a horribly wrong turn and became increasingly performance-oriented, controlling, and then abusive. Strict obedience and imitation of those above me in the Lord were mandated, and people said harsh and hurtful things to each other in the guise of speaking truth. Almost 10 years after I was baptized, I left that church and the practice of Christianity altogether. It was a dozen years before I stepped foot into another church, and that church was St. Andrews, our mother church, in 2008. There, I learned what true Christianity and discipleship looked like. I began a very long process of sorting out the good and the bad things I had learned as a young Christian and letting go of the false teachings. But I had in the back of my mind that turning my back on God and living a sinful, self-indulgent life all those years, including becoming an alcoholic, was too much for God to forgive. I struggled with guilt and shame I even left St. Andrews for about a year and a half and lived with my mother in Fort Lauderdale until she died. Fueled by a resolve to get sober and return to a life of discipleship, I moved back to Hollywood and to St. Andrews. I was welcomed back. Um, Through God's incredible, almost unbelievable grace, I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. I get my six-year medallion this Saturday. Um, And slowly, I began to, to believe, to really believe that God could and would forgive me, and that his Holy Spirit, who I had punched and kicked and squashed at every turn, was still in me and would still help me to live as a disciple of Christ. I adored my earthly father, and I obeyed him out of love and fear. But he disappointed me, and I felt like he abandoned me. He was only a human. But God, my Heavenly Father, will never let me down and will never leave me. I obey him imperfectly, sometimes just barely, out of love and gratitude for his patience and his forgiveness and his forbearance. Look it up. Look up forbearance. I can talk to him whenever I want, and I'm certain that he is always listening. I know that his plans for me are for my ultimate good and for the good of the kingdom, and I also know that might include some suffering, but that his spirit will help me endure and persevere. He has also been incredibly kind to me and has fulfilled my early desires to be on a mission team. I get to be a member of New City Fellowship and plant a new church without having to move to another country or learn another language although Spanish would probably be really helpful here. Um, I get to see God expand his kingdom right on the front lines of spiritual battlefield in our city. I get to see that here. My father in heaven, your father, our father, is a pure and loving father with incredibly high standards and, thankfully, much grace. What more could I want? Happy Father's Day.
0: I think we often get confused in the Christian life that we think uh, somehow either God is just just and righteous or he's just love and grace. But the reality is he's both all the time. He's always both. And when we disobey him, it matters. When we break his law, it matters. And yet we find that we can't stop. We, we, we can't stop cutting corners. We can't stop uh, you know, even in the motives in our heart. Even if we were to do everything outwardly perfectly, we would still find that in our hearts there's, there's things that we're harboring that, that we can't follow him out of purely goodwill. It's like the prodigal son's older brother was following the father because he was incredibly self-righteous. So we find that even if we try, we fail God's standards constantly. Yet, because we're his children, there is no... There is no second place in his family. Uh, John 17 says Jesus is praying to the Father and and talks about the love of the God the Father being the same for disciples as it is for Jesus. That's incredible. God the Father's love for us is the same as his love for Jesus Christ. And when you grasp onto that, it begins to change everything. I'm going to
2: ask Ron to come up. You know, I could stand here and tell you what kind of person I was when I was in my active drug addiction but I want to go into a different perspective here I want to talk about those behaviors that led me into living a sinful life I'm talking about being arrogant being resentful and being angry and you know you can look at those three behaviors as sort of say well ryan you were sitting on on a three-legged stool okay Uh, and i was you know i was arrogant you know because i didn't feel as though i was getting enough love or respect from other people i was resentful because i believed that you did unforgivable things to hurt me And um, Wow I was I was a pretty terrible person but you see all these behaviors were in my life long before I made the decision to use drugs I was arrogant when I was a kid I was resentful when I was a kid I was very angry when I was a kid you know and those behaviors followed me through my life and really opened the door to me becoming a drug addict now I recognize that in varying degrees I'm always going to be arrogant I'm always going to be resentful and I'm always going to be angry and I say that because I'm never going to be perfect but to balance this out i need to be humble that's the fourth leg underneath that stool because that's my only chance of being able to live a life out of sin um being humble being open to god's grace being unforgiving Um, I just want to say to you that those behaviors could have led to me becoming something far worse than a drug addict I'm not a murderer I don't go around hurting people but still in the eyes of God okay uh, my arrogance resent and resentment can be seen as uh, as being sinful finally I I just want to say that I appreciate this opportunity pastor John you know to share with everybody here and uh, I certainly enjoyed uh, the membership class I got a chance to learn a lot about uh, the type of work that you're doing and and I just want to do another shout out to you my mother is a pastor So I grew up and I know what it takes, how much pressure is on you, the burden that you bear, because I used to watch my mother go through those very same things. So I just wanna shout out to you and tell you that I appreciate you. I thank the way you like, uh, you have reached out to me. I really appreciate that Uh, NBA game that we sat and watched okay even though even though you were a Cleveland fan I forgive you I know thank you very much for listening to me God bless you all
0: I love that we can share honestly about our story and isn't isn't what he said about humility really where it starts I mean you have to be open to God correcting you and to receiving his grace and when you start there when you lower yourself you'll find he doesn't humiliate you because Jesus has been humiliated in your place I'm so thankful for his words too I'm encouraged by that run I I know the pastors are supposed to be all put together but I'll just tell you I'm not Uh, I'm a sinner just like the rest of us but I've learned to believe that the power for me pastoring this church isn't found in here. It's found in God's love for me as father. And therefore, I don't have to be all put together. Y'all know me. You know I have sins and weaknesses and struggles. But when I turn to him, he leads me, he guides me, he changes me. He transforms me. He uses those things in my life for good. So I'm, I'm thankful and I'm honored to be your pastor. And I just want to bring it back down to earth because I don't think I'm nothing special. And, uh, but I think God is. Amen? Amen. Come on, Come Let's give it up for Jay. Leads our worship team. I'm really glad, man. I had a silent prayer going that you'd get up, and it worked.
1: Okay. I didn't really grow up in the church. Um, we were closet Catholics, I guess you would call them. You went on Easter and uh, Christmas Eve, and that was it. I wanted something more. I remember my mom always letting me go over to this one family's house. Well, I think I was in third, fourth grade, something like that. And they uh, they uh, let me. They the deal was I could spend the weekend with them, but I had to go to church with them. And I was like, okay, I don't care. Um, Real cool place. I thought it was awesome. Good. I liked the music. Uh, I didn't play anything back then. Trumpet, maybe. Um, and that's where I kind of got introduced to God as a child. And uh, Then growing up, moving around, moved to Memphis, went to high school, met my lovely wife. Um, was not really a good teenager growing up. I was you know, I did a lot of stupid stuff and drugs and alcohol and just a lot of stupid stuff. Uh, one particular night, I, uh, I did something really stupid that probably should have put me in jail. Um, and the next day, I kind of woke up and was like, I'm going to find out what life's all about or I'm just not going to keep living. So I was probably 18 years old. And I went to church, uh, it's a place that I used to sell drugs at. And uh yeah, I was that guy, and so uh, uh d- <laughs> you st- we're we're good here. Um, thanks for the levity uh but i uh I told the pastor what, I w- what was going on. Uh, he knew me, he actually kept inviting me to church, even though I think he knew what was going on outside uh, before church um, and he's like, "Look, I-, I want you to stick around." Uh there's this guy here. It's uh you he, he's a football player, you know, he, he's he's got a bad back he's got a bad background in how God saved him. I was like, sure. And so he's telling the story of how he uh his life was uh kind of turned upside down, how he was a professional football player and and how uh you know, how he got into drugs and how he got into everything, how he would intentionally try to hurt people. Uh, and kind of kind of like opened my eyes to what I was doing and really kind of just I was like wow I mean does he know my story um, but no this was his story but it, it mirrored a lot of mirrored a lot of what I was going through and, and so uh, I kind of was like okay well then I, I'm going to I'm going to check this out I'm, I'm going to check this, this Christianity thing out and so it's, that's where God became my father and then uh i didn't know how the christianity thing worked so i was a worker i was working my way to salvation i I was saved but i was working my way to salvation i was going to volunteer with the youth i'm going to do this i'm going to i had already picked up music by that time so i was helping out with the band for the the youth band and all this stuff and getting involved with sunday school i was going to work my way back to being good with god i had to you know serve my time for all the bad things i did because i didn't it didn't click that it didn't matter i could do all i wanted to or i could do nothing i was already saved i believed and so once that finally clicked i actually worked harder um Not because uh, I thought I was, at this time, working out my salvation. It was, oh my God. Oh my God. My God. Right? And now, because of what I know he did for me, that's why I want to serve him completely. It's not for working out my salvation. It's because I'm serving the one that saved me. Because he loved me so much, even after what I've done. And that's why when people ask me why I do what I do, you know, oh, you're just trying to get in good, God's good graces. I said, he, he doesn't love my, the past me any more than he does now. And he sure doesn't love the future me any more than he does right now. And so, Father God, you know, celebrating God, um, I'm nothing really to celebrate, but he is. Thank
0: you. You know, I, I thought it was interesting what Jay say, he brings up a good point, that when he began to understand that God was his father and that that relationship was secured and that he was the recipient of grace and love, He actually served God more fully. If we serve God out of fear, that song we sang, I'm no longer a slave to fear, we'll do just the bare minimum we think that is needed to get in God's good graces. But once we understand that God has been gracious to us through Jesus Christ, we are set free to serve God, not to earn anything from him, but because he's already given us everything that we need. He's forgiven our sins. He's put the Holy Spirit within us. He has restored our relationship with him. You see, grace makes us serve harder. Yes. Makes us throw ourselves in the game even more fully. You imagine what I, the illustration I used about uh, you, you can only stay in relationship with that movie star if you power or if you humiliate yourself. Imagine if that person said, I want you to come live with me. Every day I'm going to pay for your meal. Every day I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to to focus my attention on you. I'm going to love you and care for you. You're with me. We're, We're friends. All that I have is yours. How would you feel about that person after that? You would want to serve them, not because you earn anything from them, but out of gratitude for what they've done. It's the same way with Father God. In fact, you can show, you can test yourself and say, how much do I get God, the Father's love for me, by if you're obeying him. And I don't mean that like if you're obeying him perfectly, but like, do you trust him? When you read a command of God, is your first thought, well, I'm going to do it my way. Or is it, no, he's been so good to me through what Jesus has done. I can trust him. And even though this command he's given me doesn't quite make sense in my mind, I know he's good. And so I'm going to follow. So I'm going to follow. That's one way you can know how much you understand the love of God for you as father. Another way that you can know is just your love for the people in this room. Because as we get to know each other more as God's family, the reality is you're going to get a little annoyed with someone else. That's just how it works. Uh, We're not a perfect family. We sin, we fall short, we, we accidentally hurt each other, maybe even on purpose. But as we begin to understand God's love for us, and even though we sin against him, he doesn't kick us out of the family, It gives us love for each other. Love for each other that we're willing to even sacrifice ourselves for someone else. Because who's the best Christian in this room? There is none. There is none. We're all in the same playing field. And yet we've all been brought near to God by the love of Christ. And that really gives us a love for one another. Particularly in a church that's really trying to embrace diversity ethnically in language, in culture, and in socioeconomics. That will stretch us. That will really stretch us as we grow in that. But the source for growing in that is not found in ourselves. It's in the love of God the Father for us as his children. Look how John goes on in in 1 John 3. He says, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? In other words, if you have the love of God, but you don't share the love of God, you don't really have the love of God. You don't get it yet. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and we will reassure our hearts before him whenever hearts, our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. We can actually test how much we know the love of God by how willing we are to be stretched for those people in this room and in our needs. I want to play a quick video um, in light of that in light of an application of this uh, many of you know that it's been a it's been a hard week in the united states around a couple things Uh, one was the verdict on philando castile that was very difficult um, and very a a, a very painful situation and then a year ago uh, the charleston nine were murdered in their church remember that situation And in light of the fact that the love of God will not only comfort us, but also stretch us, I want to play a short video and frame it this way. How can majority culture people engage minority culture people in the church around these issues? This is a video from Dr. Mika Edmondson. He's a pastor in our network of New City Fellowship. Uh, He's in Grand Rapids and really sharp guy, um, incredibly smart guy, and they just became an official church, so they're they're kinda right in our stage. Um, but I wanna encourage you just to listen to this and think about it as a way that you can show the love of God to someone else by trying to understand uh, perspective and where they're coming from.
4: So the first thing uh, that uh, white brothers and sisters can do to stand in solidarity uh, with uh, minority brothers and sisters who are experiencing ju- injustice um, is, to, is to simply listen. Uh, to uh, to do to to listen with uh, and and to have conversation with humility intentionality and measure um, it's really important that we not only rejoice with those who rejoice but mourn with those who mourn and in order to do that we have to be open to listen and not and not to listen with a sense of defensiveness but to listen with a sense of humility um, also we've got to be um, we've got to be intentional about um, about not only hearing and listening, but also trying to seek out practical ways in which we can um, add our voices to uh, to uh, speak against the injustices that brothers and sisters are experiencing. Uh, I, it's really important um, that minorities recognize that they're not in this alone, but that their brothers and sisters uh, uh, are, are caring for them, both in the inward man as well as the outward man, both in uh, spiritual, uh, matters as well as practical matters uh, so, uh, so yeah so so humility, intentionality, measure, listening, um, also uh, with our with our civic engagement as well, I think it 's really important that uh, because we are, are baptized in Christ and we 're one with one another in Christ, that that oneness finds is, finds an expression in, in our visible relationships to one another we cannot go into the civic realm and forget all the people that we are joined to in Christ. And so as we go into the voting booth, I think we need to think about our diverse brothers and sisters in Christ. As we go into the marketplace, I think we need to think about our diverse brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and we need to, uh, based on that union in Christ, uh, let allow that union to spill over into the ways in which we engage. So those are some practical ways I think that uh, that white brothers and sisters can come alongside are uh, minority brothers and sisters in these
0: issues. What great love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. He's brought us all the way in, but he's brought us all the way in together. And therefore, as God's blended family, as God's children, we're bonded together. Your problems are my problems, my problems are your problems. And as we think about stretching even more, what does it look like uh, to engage in issues that I won't face as a white man, but that you might face as a black woman? What does it look like to engage those issues? What does it look like to continue to say diversity is always on the table? If we have, if we grow in terms of language and the languages that are spoken here in this church, what does it look like to show the love of God the Father in that situation and give people an avenue to understand the gospel in their heart language? What does it look like to grow in socioeconomic diversity where we wrestle with... Uh, people being on different ends of the socioeconomic spectrum but together in one church see that's the very place that the love of god becomes visible and as his children together we show that love amen